This podcast was derived from the Rotary and Community Services show which aired on 18th of April 2014 on community radio station 3WBC 94.1 FM. The Rotary and Community Service Show is broadcast every Friday from 6 till 8 p.m. In this podcast, David Prout is in conversation with past district governor, Feroz Pera, who is in North Carolina. Well, our next conversation on the Rotary and Community Services Show is a rather special one because it's our first international conversation. And uh, rather than being around Melbourne or even uh, around Australia, we're heading to North Carolina and uh, we're dropping in and conversation with a very old friend of mine, uh, Feroz Pira, who's also a past district governor. Feroz, welcome to the Rotary and Community Services Show. Good morning, David. Good to be on. Okay. Now, Feroz, what I'd like to start off with is if you could give us a bit of a pen picture of uh, your district and the sort of towns and things that are in that area? Uh, district 7680, of which I'm part of, is yep. um, one of several districts in North Carolina. We're on the western part of the state. And yep. uh, the largest town in the area is uh, Charlotte. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of it. It's uh, just over a million Are you people. close to Charlotte? Say it again. Are you close to Charlotte? Yes, we live in South Charlotte. Oh, I see. I do. Right. My club's uh, it's the Rotary Club of Ballantyne, which is in South Charlotte. And oh, okay. the district has 58 clubs, a total of about uh, 3,000 members, fairly right. stable membership. And uh, we have a mix of clubs, uh, the majority being lunch clubs, mm-hmm. um, about a dozen or more being breakfast clubs. And then uh, a handful, uh, just a few, two or three dinner clubs, but... Uh, a new set of uh, five or six clubs that we formed over the last five years, which uh, uh, have attracted younger members because they, the meeting starts immediately at the end of the day after work and mm-hmm. finishes before dinner time. So the members can then go do whatever they want in the evening. Uh, so there's no dinner or eating and they just uh, come no, together? And- it can be just appetizers or one of the me- uh, meetings is at, at a, a wine bar restaurant where they have the option of not drinking anything or having a glass of water or yeah. trying out the local wine. So the cost is, is um, you know, contained by the member. It's under their control. Is and, that a bit of an issue uh, in your district, the cost of uh, going to Rotary meetings? Uh, not a big issue until the last re- the recent recession uh, because yeah. some of the members uh, had their dues paid by their companies. And fewer and fewer companies are doing that. So suddenly, uh, many members, not all, uh, but many are saying, well, this is an extra burden. But uh, at the end of the day, every club is trying to watch their expenses. And we even have one club that meets uh, at a church on Saturday mornings from 10 to 11. And their their cost is zero because they don't pay for the the location. And each week, one of the members, they rotate this, brings uh, bagels, cream cheese, and a pot of coffee. Uh, which yeah. keeps them going for the meeting. And uh, so it, 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 I think we're changing the nature of the whole um, approach as our demographics change, uh, mm-hmm. younger members come on, and the younger members typically tend to be those who want to do things rather than sit around and just chat over a meal. 
Um, mm, yeah. And and you know they're not into the rituals that uh, the older Rotarians are into. So, uh, ah, some of the older clubs, very formal clubs. The the larger and older ones, uh, you know, they've got their structure just like any yeah. other. Um, you know, uh, you go to some of them and people sit in the same seat every day. So uh, yes, they maintain that, but it works for them, and so that, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, is fine. Uh, yeah. So each each club is, I'm sure it's the same in Australia, has its own unique personality driven by, you know... Who oh, very much so. Right. Yeah. So we, we have the informal and the formal ones, although, you know, not as structured as uh, meetings I've seen in places like Europe where, you know, the, the, yeah. the club president comes in looking like the mayor. Yeah, yeah with all the regalia, etc. Right. Uh, it's not that, that structured, but... Uh, so anyhow, the, the, we are growing the number of clubs, which is good. And even in the older clubs, uh, new yeah. people are joining because of the attraction of being with successful people in the different professions and so on. Probably the most stable ones of our clubs tend to be in the smaller towns because they, Rotary is viewed very much as being part of the community. Yeah. In the large yeah. clubs, we're fragmented because there's so many other uh, competing organizations. Yeah, yeah. So, and is the, is the membership of your clubs sort of noticeably starting to change now? It is. Uh, I would say certainly for the last 10 years, um, many more women joining. Yeah. Uh, so what would be the average male-female ratio in a club? Oh, it, it will vary. I mean, some have only 10%, but then there are others, especially the newer ones, where it's... It's, uh, you know, 50, 60 percent. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the women add a lot in terms of organizational skills. Yes. Uh, and tend Same to with our clubs. Yeah. Right. They're, so, yeah. you know, they're valued. Um, and, and I think without them, most of these clubs would not be what they are. Yeah. So they yeah. bring new perspectives, just like the younger members do. But we still have the, you know, what I would call a fairly homogeneous profile in terms of... Uh, the the ethnicity and race profile oh, of clubs, okay. yeah. and we have a, a couple of years ago the one I mentioned that meets on Saturday mornings is actually a club that I was very much involved in trying to get started, and that is um, the majority of the membership are members of the Haitian diaspora who live in the United States. Oh, okay. We yeah. have uh, at least in Charlotte, we have about three thousand Haitians who settled here for many years. They're in the professions. Yeah. So this yeah. is a club that was formed so that they could not only focus on the community, but help us do projects in Haiti because they understand the culture. Oh, okay. yeah. We all French and all those things. Uh, yeah. And I think that has been a better way to attract these other segments of the community than them joining the traditional club. Now, uh, Froz, uh, if you could give us a, a couple of... Uh say, three projects to sort of give an idea to our uh, listener here, um, what sort of thing Rotary do? Okay, uh, let me just buy, at least establish a, a baseline. Traditionally, all the clubs have been active in the community in terms of giving scholarships to students. Uh, so right. that's become fairly generic in terms of what they do. And, uh, you know, helping out with the school system in, in many other ways. Uh, local hospitals, home, uh, you know, homeless shelters and so on. Uh, but we are beginning to see a change in the profile of what we're doing, especially with more money available for district grants and so on. And right. 
the clubs are beginning to get far more creative in terms of what they do. It, they're looking for partners to, to work with, but they realize that we must do more things under the Rotary banner so that we get the visibility uh, so that others in the community are attracted by what we do. And right. those kinds of projects tend to be larger now uh, in terms of expanding medic- free medical clinics, for example, uh, sponsoring programs that uh, promote science education. Uh, we have clubs that are doing a robotics program with yeah. all the high schools involved. So the, the nature of what we're doing is, is becoming much more exciting. Uh, we have clubs, uh, one club has sponsored or taken on uh, working with the foresters in, in a, a large uh, educational forest that's in the area to right. build special facilities to teach children and adults about the different trees and so on. And they're using technology. They're using the Internet. They're using solar, uh, electrical okay. power in the forest, sort of uh, audio, um, you know, ask 10 questions yep, yep. about this tree and it'll tell you. To me, that is exciting because we are now branching out from the traditional things that we did to help the community into um, a broader range of capabilities. Yeah, yeah. And then on the global front, uh, internationally, our district has been very, very active in places like Peru. Uh, That Mm -hmm. relationship started about eight years ago as a result of a GSE trip. And we have almost taken over an area in southern Peru. It's a a community of about 50,000 indigenous uh, Indians uh, who don't seem to get much from their own community or the government. And we have, you know, set up uh, shops to create employment for the men, a woodworking shop, oh, okay. uh, knitting shop for women, and, yeah. and you know, um, orphanages that we're providing facilities to. We feed 700 people a day. I think there's an industrial-scale kitchen that's been set up. Oh. Uh, in the Honduras, uh, water has been a big thing, again, for the indigenous populations. I think we've got about... 40 or 50 villages that we've set up a complete pipeline distribution system for so that they don't have to go to the river and get dirty water. Yeah, uh, yeah. So fairly large multi-year projects that are going on. Yeah. In terms of where we are today, for example, we have, um, you, you're familiar with matching grants, right? Yes, we yes. Have, we have nine of those active uh, in places like Peru, Turkey, Haiti, India. Again, those are doing fairly significant uh, things in terms of uh, empowerment as well as providing infrastructure. The the challenge for us, like probably everyone else, is going to be as we get into this new global uh, grant concept with the foundation, uh, yeah. it's taking longer to start things off. But I'll give you two projects that we're working on. One is uh, water, safe water in Uganda. Yeah. And then a large $800,000 project in Ethiopia to provide oh, okay. water and sanitation. And those are both in the application stage, but will happen in the coming year. So yeah. the, it's, it's a very broad-based approach to what we're trying to do. Yeah. You know, adopt a con- couple of countries where we're there constantly, uh, and it's driven by the passion and interest of the returns in those clubs that are wanting yeah. to go yeah. there. And then a whole series of other projects that are more driven by where the opportunity and the need is, and we see if we can, you know, get the funds and support those. Now, Faroz, uh, could you just give us from where you sit, uh, metaphorically and literally, the sort of challenges and perhaps some of the solutions you see for Rotary over, say, the next metaphoric 10 years? I, I will, will be somewhat presumptive and think about the larger Rotary, uh, but certainly yeah. 
the U.S., as you know, has a third of the Rotary members in the world. So we have about 400,000 yes. members. And I'm sure our challenges are similar to some of the other countries and, and in other ways different. And certainly, if you look at the developing world, uh, Asia, Africa, South America, Rotary is growing. Yeah. Uh, and the membership is younger and they're very, very active, uh, almost integrated into the community and, and, uh, viewed as being part of the, the social, uh, infrastructure of those communities. Yes. And, uh, if you talk to people from those countries, you know, the leaders who may or may not be Rotarians, and even if they're not Rotarians, recognize the, the, the benefit of having an organization like Rotary that's supporting education and, empowering yeah. others and so on. So to me, that is something that is taking off in a big way. The challenge is, of course, in the original developed areas like the U.S. and perhaps parts of yeah. Europe and so on. Uh, here in the U.S., we are pretty much stagnant as far as membership goes. Yeah. Uh, and that is the challenge we have to deal with. And, yeah. and it's not that the population is shrink- shrinking by any means. The population of the country is growing. So... How do we yeah. get our share of citizens to be part of Rotary is the challenge. And um, yeah. there must be at least 400,000 non-profits in the United States, all yeah. vying for not only the time but skills and also the, the contributions, yes. financial support of uh, all the people. And I, I think we have to seriously think of ourselves like any other large corporation, which mm-hmm. we are in a way. Uh, and realize that, um, you know, you, to survive, you must adapt. You must, yeah. uh, you must respond to the changing needs of the, the work environment, the kinds of people, how they view the various concepts that we've grown up with, whether it's fellowship, where it's being replaced yeah. by a different kind of networking concept. The need of the younger people to be able to see results and outcomes much faster than we're used to in many ways. Uh, they're just as altruistic as we are, if not more. And the fact that they perhaps are not as excited by some of the rituals and traditions that uh, older Rotarians are used to. Yes. So yeah. unless we start thinking seriously of a different format, allowing these new members the freedom to think and do differently, uh, yeah. um, you know, we cannot survive. So it's a very straightforward issue. The the other part of it, is, which I think is a positive, we as a result of some of the changes in Rotary's grant model, are doing more in our own communities. Right. In, the, in the past, much of what we contributed, at least financially, uh, and sometimes even in terms of our skills, were, the benefit went to other countries. We're now right. focusing yeah. more in um, doing things in our own neighborhoods. Uh, yeah. Because when you talk to people locally, they say, what have you done for me lately? Not yeah. somebody else far away. And if we do that, we'll become much more visible to people. People will want to join this team that is doing something good in their community. And we have to scale up and do things that are of more significance, much more focused in terms of the benefit that um, is there. So, you know, by thinking differently about the nature of what we're doing, it's got to be more significant, scalable, uh, more lasting. We, We need to go away from fragmenting our time and our resources over a lot of little things which we're used to doing. So those are some of the trends that are emerging, but I cannot say uh, honestly that every club and every Rotarian is thinking this way. But I see that as one of the ways to save ourselves and to reinvent ourselves 
it is happening. I think uh, a lot of the leaders in Rotary are beginning to think that way, and that's why we have, you know, the areas yeah. of focus and things like that, that let's not fritter away our resources over too many little things. So, What about other service clubs uh, like Lions, etc.? How are they uh, surviving in the uh, current They are in as much uh, trouble, if not more, than we are. Yeah. Uh, I think we are more stable than they are. They may be creating, like Lions has created lots of clubs. They, yeah. their, their format is, of course, different in terms of the number of meetings and attendance and yes. so on. And I yeah. think we have to rethink that ourselves. Uh, yeah. You know, there are tools available to now hold virtual meetings beyond yeah. the e-club concept. You yeah, know, you can literally be connected to every member on the screen, and we need to start thinking of those and how we use that. But those organizations are doing far less than we are, I think, in the scope of things. I mean, yeah, look, I mean, nobody else is doing polio like we do. Yeah, uh, that's we have the grassroots front line. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody else has uh, the peace centers. I mean, you've got one in Australia in Brisbane. Right. Yeah. I just came from the graduation last weekend of the pre-center that we have at uh, Duke uh, University and oh, University of yeah. North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And, yeah. you know, 12 graduates, uh, two of them was for, were from Australia. Oh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And they presented... No, our, our club has sponsored, I think, four or five right. uh, people to that program. So that's... So yeah. there is no other organization that is taking its mission as seriously as we are. We are we've created 800 peacemakers so far. So I think we have a good story to tell, but sadly, more often than not, we ourselves are not good at telling our story, Uh, partly because we're not aware of everything that's going on. I meet people who don't even know how much their club has done over the years in their community. So there are lots of things that we need to do differently. Uh, But I I personally think we could be much stronger. We could have yeah. a, we have a global, uh, we have a role on the global stage already with polio. Yeah. Uh, and people are viewing us as credible partners, but we must change. We have yeah. to start thinking slightly differently. So, you know, that, that's where I'm coming from. I, I think, uh, I, and no, well, I a lot of people who sort of given hope, uh, given up hope and say, oh yeah, you know, we're sort of uh, fading away. We're not. Uh, but I think it takes a different uh, approach, a different um, uh, set of drivers to get us going again. And, and uh, uh, thinking outside the nine dots a little more. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, um, yeah. so, you know, there, there are times when uh, even an optimist like me despairs when I hear people say things. But then I say, look, you know, uh, for example, with polio, people say, oh, we've been supporting this for 29 years. I said, well, it doesn't matter if it takes another 100. Do we really yeah, that's right. our grant? Yeah, there are some very sort of similar themes that uh, you're talking about, is certainly the, the area we're discussing. Rotary has suffered, certainly in our area. They don't know how to tell the Rotary story. And the sort of common image where we see a lot of what happens to Rotary, it's grey-haired men giving checks to people. And that's the sort of thing we want to get away from. Yes. And the other thing is, is to make it more appropriate uh, for younger people. Right. Uh, we have had a few very successful Rotaract clubs, which sort of take people up to 30, perhaps 35. But then there's been a huge gap up until people are about 55. Right. And we need to make it easier for them. I mean, when yes. I was working, I mean, I was with IBM before I yeah. decided to get out of the corporate world. There was no time for me to go to a lunchtime meeting or even a breakfast yeah. meeting. 
yeah. a weekend would have been great. Now, how yeah. many weekend clubs do we have? Very few. Yeah. So nah. we need to rethink to you know, adjust to lifestyles. But I'll tell you about our story. It was uh, at the end of January, I attended two events in Washington, D.C. Yep. Uh, R.I. President Ron Burton was speaking at both of those. Yeah. The first one was uh, a reception at the Swedish ambassador's house in the evening. Mm-hmm. And there were about 40, 50 of us. And the ambassador, you know, sort of made a small speech. He, he, asked, he said why Rotary was being honored by his government, how much they appreciate what Rotary has done around the world. He talked yeah. about uh, the fact that there are more per, uh, Rotarians per capita in the Nordic countries than anywhere in the world. Is that right? Apparently. And, yeah. um, and he sort of talked about the kinds of things that they were doing. He talked about polio and the fact that the Swedish government is also pitching in and providing money. He said, but, and my father was a charter member in 1970, and he still goes to his Friday meetings every yeah. week. Yeah. And he's got his Paul Harris in his office on the wall, his first yeah, yeah. one that he got. And he said, my uncles are Rotarians and aunts. And, uh, you know, he said... You guys have created a very proud tradition, but you are viewed as being people who make a difference everywhere. And he sort of went on and on, and I thought, well, this guy is really infatuated, even though he's not a Rotarian. All right. He certainly knows what we do. He had the story. And then he said, by the way, before I uh, stop, uh, can my wife? And these are two fairly new. Um, uh, he's a new ambassador to the United States, yes. Sweden. Okay. Uh, probably only been here six months, and he's and they are in their late forties, I would say. And his wife then said, "Look, uh, I too have a connection to Rotary. I'm from Gothenburg, and the Rotary Club of Gothenburg gave me the ambassadorial scholarship to go to study at the London School of Economics. Ah, right. And that's you know, and I can trace that to all the impact it had, and how I met my husband afterwards, and so on. Yeah, yeah. So, you know." And neither of these two people are Rotarians. The very yeah. next day, I went to the a meeting of the Organization of American States. That's 33 countries that have yeah. agreements since the 1800s to yes. collaborate and trade and so on, right? And again, uh, Rotary's president was going to talk to there about uh, there about youth programs. So yeah. there were about 150 people there, and and uh, the executive secretary, uh, the secretary general of the OAS, stood up. And he went on for 20 minutes about how much how important Rotary is to all the countries in, in, that are members, and how much we're so much part of the the not only the social and the business fabric of the country, the, the, the opportunities we've created for education, and so on. And I thought, you know, am I hearing things because nobody speaks about Rotary like this in the U.S. And then people stood up, yeah. so staff members who said, oh, I got this scholarship and I came to the University of Chicago to study and now I'm doing this and so on. And the point I'm trying to make is, I, as I was driving back, how is it that non-Rotarians can be so eloquent in telling our story yes. and we are not? And, you know, we are just not, it's not that we don't know what it is, it's just uh, maybe we need to rethink and somebody needs to tell, teach us how to tell our story better. Yeah. Uh, but we do well, have a terrific story. Uh, give a slight plug. That's what we're trying to do on the Rotary Show, radio show, <laughs> to sort of try and uh, 
conversations like this to lighten other people as to you know what Rotary exactly. And in that case, we, we also do lines of a couple of other community organisations. Well, it's not exclusively Rotary, but mainly Rotary. Right. For us, uh, I think we've taken up a lot of your time, and thank you very much. And uh, I understand you're heading down under to the World Conference on in about five weeks. Yes. Uh, we're doing 10 days in New Zealand and then coming over to Sydney. Yeah. And then after the convention, a couple of days to see you guys in Melbourne. So looking forward uh, to looking that. Looking forward to it. All right, Froze. Well, we might do this again uh, down the track a bit. But uh, thank you for being on the Rotary and Community Services Show. Well, thank you for inviting me. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This was produced and presented by David Proud of the Rotary Club of Canterbury in Melbourne, Victoria. Other podcasts can be found on our club website, which is www.canterburyrotary.org.